Welcome to Animal Health Insights. This podcast was created to connect producers, veterinarians, and animal owners, and to introduce you to the people and the organizations who are working to support animal health in Canada. Our podcast is developed with the support of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. Through these podcasts, CAS aims to engage veterinarians, producers, and the public in discussions around animal health and infectious disease as part of work to strengthen animal health surveillance through knowledge, awareness, and data sharing. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Todd. I'm also a veterinarian. Let's get started. As we think about improving health of our herd animals, it is interesting to consider what tools we have as veterinarians and as producers to minimize the chance of disease exposure even occurring in the first place. If we can stop a disease from even getting onto a farm or into a herd of animals, we're automatically ahead of the game when it comes to maintaining healthy livestock. As humans dealing with the current COVID pandemic, we wash our hands, we keep our social circles small, we stay two meters away from others when we have to go out, and we're limiting our activities out in society, all to ensure that we have the best chance of staying healthy. We are socially and physically distancing ourselves from others. But how do we achieve the same type of social distancing for our herd animals or our poultry flocks? Biosecurity is one tool that veterinarians, animal owners, and producers can use to minimize the chance of any disease exposure to animals on a farm. But it is a broad term, and it can seem a bit vague, which is pretty frustrating sometimes. As a result, sometimes some very impactful or simple adjustments in farm protocols or operations may not happen. While some disease risks are shared across species, in general, each animal tends to have some unique biosecurity principles. Dr. Trent Wenekamp, a veterinarian from Lloydminster, Alberta, has done some excellent research into biosecurity practices on cow-calf farms in Western Canada, and he's uncovered some pretty interesting information regarding beef cattle biosecurity factors and how they play an important role in calf and adult cow health. Welcome to Animal Health Insights, Dr. Wenekamp. Yes, hello. Thanks for having me. So to start off, why did you choose biosecurity in beef herds as a topic for your research? What's so important about this from your perspective? I guess initially it wasn't sort of something that I thought I would focus on uh, when I started my master's project. But um, as something I've always been fairly passionate about was more so looking at the prevention of disease on beef cattle herds rather than the treatment. Um, and as a mixed animal practitioner, um, that's always something that we try to work with with our clients is finding ways to prevent the disease from ever starting. And biosecurity is one of the best ways to accomplish that. And so I, uh, as we started trying to think of topics and things to work on uh, for my master's project, this became kind of a natural fit after we uh, went through it for a while. So could you shed some light on how improvements in biosecurity have the potential to result in lower rates of antimicrobial use or resistance? The big thing is with uh, with different diseases in cattle is that very many of them require antimicrobials to treat, so such as bovine respiratory disease and some of the calf diarrheas and things like that. Um, quite often, antimicrobials are used to treat them. So if we can find ways to prevent those diseases from ever coming into a herd or starting in a herd or in a feedlot or anywhere else, 
where uh, beef cattle are, then the use of antimicrobials and uh, and the potential resistance from their use or overuse can be greatly mitigated. So an example would be, um, you know, if if you were made sure that the feeder cattle that you were buying um, were vaccinated and came from a herd with not very many issues with bovine respiratory disease, then potentially you would be able to not have to use a what we call metaphylaxis or antibiotic on arrival to to treat those animals because they wouldn't would require it in order to prevent bovine respiratory disease. And so different ways of kind of controlling and uh and reducing disease before it ever starts greatly reduce the amount of antimicrobials that are needed. This is such a, a huge issue, uh antimicrobial resistance for both veterinary and human medicine right now. So it seems like if there's biosecurity changes that can help to minimize this, they really should be a no-brainer to implement on farm. So what are some biosecurity principles that are specific to beef farming operations? And and how would they differ from biosecurity practices for other species? Well, this is probably uh, the main crux of of the whole challenge in uh, in beef farming is so if we go to the second part of your question first, so if we look at, say, a, a pig herd, um, you know, their biosecurity looks nothing like what we would see on a beef cattle operation. So in a, in a pig herd, they, you know, the, the piglets would be born in a, in a barn. They would likely never leave that barn until, until they were headed out for slaughter. Um, they, you know, as they move from pen to pen within the barn, they would, they, each pen would be disinfected before they ever got there. The uh, people that came in would shower before they came into the barn, and none of their clothes that were used in the barn would ever be used anywhere but inside that barn. So all of those types of things really reduce these. And in beef farming, we see basically none of those activities. The, uh, the, the calf is born on a farm. Once it's weaned, it's sent to an auction mark where it's, going to be mixed with lots of other calves and then it goes to a feedlot and mixed with even more calves and uh, and then as it moves through there it probably you know goes from one from a background and feedlot to a finishing feedlot and, and is mixed again the pens are you know they're cleaned of manure but they're by no means disinfected so there's just you know way more opportunity for the spread of disease in in beef farming and so the biosecurity principles that are specific to them are more so around trying to reduce those mixings, trying to reduce the number of new animals coming in. When you are introducing new animals, that you're being careful about how they're being mixed in, in the sense that you don't mix them right away, have like a quarantine period, also that uh, they're vaccinated, so we try to control some of the diseases, try to know some of the history on those animals, what diseases you know might they potentially have been exposed to before they came to your place. And then once you're at your place trying to reduce some of your activities that might cause issues, such as when you handle manure, you know, don't use the same equipment that you handle manure with to feed with or at least disinfect in between. And all those types of things can help reduce, you know, the, the spread of disease within within a, uh, a beef cattle herd. And, and it, it just are things that are not often thought about but can make a big difference. So when you were putting your study together then, how did you select, you know, beef herds to participate in your research? And how did you 
you know, get information back from them to learn about their practices? So um, we were very fortunate. Um, I worked with my advisor for my master's was uh, Dr. John Campbell, and they have for several years now um, been working on a program called the Western Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a network of over 100 farms across Western Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. And those beef farms have um, widely varying compositions. So, you know, from fairly small herds, you know, 50, 60 head all the way up to thousands of head of cows. Some have, you know, feeder cattle on them. And so there's, there's quite a bit of variation. And basically those herds were recruited through veterinary practices. And then they get some blood testing done on those herds. Some other testing, like fecal testing, is done, as well as they fill out a number of surveys. And um, and so that was what we did. Is uh, for for my information for the biosecurity project, is I uh, gathered a bunch of information uh, through a survey that we sent out to those producers to fill out and to uh, and to um, give us what they were doing. And then the other part of ours that was a little bit unique was we not only gathered the information, but we also looked at their their diseases that they have in their herds. And so compared with what biosecurity principles they were doing, how did that impact the animal health of their herd? And so that was probably the most interesting part was not just gathering information, but also comparing it to what information we could get on the uh, on the animal health aspects of those herds. What types of biosecurity practices did you ask about then in your survey? The first part of it was asking a lot about uh, what sort of purchases and what what animals were entering the herd. So um, looking at, you know, buy bulls, they buy cows, heifers, um, you know, baby calves, feeder calves, all that kind of thing, and over a period of years. And then also where they came from. So did they come from an auction mart or another farm or some other sale? And then we also asked a lot of questions about basic biosecurity principles. So were animals kept separate for a period of time? Were they vaccinated? Um, you know, do you do any custom feeding or calving? Do you use community pasture? Um, do you clean, you know, your equipment regular and things like that? And then as I said before, too, we, we also asked some questions about disease history in those herds as well. And what biosecurity measures did farmers already have in place? Well, perhaps not surprisingly, um, not very many. <laughs> biosecurity, I think we could safely say, and this is not totally surprising, is not really an emphasis on, on most beef cattle herds. It, it tends to be fairly low on the priority list of things that are, are done. So, for example, um, you know, keeping new animals that are purchased separate for a period of time, only about 30% of producers did that. Vaccinating new animals, again, only about 30%. Asking about disease history was about 16%. Quite a few asked about vaccination history, so that was about 80%. And then also things that might increase your risk, such as, you know, leasing bulls and um, using community pasture, you know, they were fairly high. You, like about a third of producers would do those activities. So, so there was, you know, I guess we could say as an overall general principle is that biosecurity is is not emphasized and is not seen as a high priority 
on beef cattle farms in Western Canada. Given then the current status of biosecurity practices, what improvements were discussed with the producers in this study? Were these discussions with their herd veterinarian or were there others involved in communicating this information to the producers? Yeah, so the way that this particular program works is they're actually, it's it's very uh, dependent on the on the herd and on the uh, and on the veterinarian. So the producers that participate, they get an honorarium for for participating, but probably almost of greater value to them is they get all the information back. So they get back, you know, how where they kind of fit in, and also what everybody else like. So basically, how they compare, sort of a benchmarking type uh, situation, and so getting back the information and then it's kind of up to them to what they do with that so i have a few of these herds in my practice so when i get this information back sometimes it might prompt me to call them or sometimes not if it doesn't look like there's an issue or same thing for the producer if they were getting back information that they felt was you know a concern to them then they would give us a call oh you know and and ask some questions about that so I, I personally didn't have many of those discussions about this particular survey. We've had lots of discussions about other surveys with our producers, like, for example, if they were getting back positive uh, animals with yonis on some of the blood tests, yonis disease. So there, there's quite a bit of feedback back and forth, um, but it just it's very individual, and it would depend on sort of both the concern level and the, and kind of where the producer felt that they needed to emphasize. Should biosecurity recommendations be specific for each beef producer then? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's probably impossible to, I mean, you could make generalized recommendations, you know, such as, you know, keep animals separate for a few weeks at a time or things like that. But every farm is so different, right? Do they do they buy feeder cattle? Do they buy baby calves, like foster type calves? You know, maybe they're fairly close and they don't buy in anything. Um, you know, so then obviously that would greatly reduce the risk. Where are they? Are they, you know, in a fairly high density area or are they in a fairly remote area and don't have much exposure to other herds? How do they sell their cattle? You know, um, are they selling them direct um, to, a, to a feedlot or are they going through an auction mark? And there's so many different aspects for each producer that, that uh, really you know, to try and sort of do blanket recommendations would be pretty challenging. Or at least if you were to do that, you would have to probably sit down with the producer and see which ones actually apply to them. So that's, I think, you know, one thing that definitely comes out of this is, you know, once you kind of know the basic principles and what's important and what's significant, then, you know, the next step is to sit down and decide how that directly applies to each herd and what principles need to be applied uh, to actually get the greatest benefit. So one of the areas you looked at was trying to determine which biosecurity factors would play a role in whether there would be a diagnosis of Yoni's disease in a specific herd. So could you tell us a little bit about Yoni's disease, uh, what effect it could have on production, and then maybe what your study discovered in regards to this condition? Basically, when we got our results back, some diseases kind of popped out as significant, you know, for these herds. So, Yoni um, disease was one of those. Um, there was quite a few herds that had had a positive diagnosis of Yoni disease with, within their herd. So, 
Um, we actually had about a third, 31% um, of producers had had a diagnosis of Yoni's disease in their herd. So obviously that's a fairly high number, and so it's impacting a lot of herd. So Yoni's disease, um, people that aren't familiar with it, is uh, the actual name is mycobacterium paratuberculosis. So it's kind of a, a relative of tuberculosis, but it affects their gastrointestinal tract. So what happens is, is uh, typically calves are exposed at a young age, under six months of age, they become exposed to this bacteria, and it lives in their gastrointestinal tract for quite a while. And eventually, as they get older, often between the ages of three and five, most typically, they start to show clinical signs. And so the clinical signs is, uh, first of all, diarrhea, and then it progresses to wasting. So typically what a farmer would find is, you know, perhaps in summer on pasture, a cow that, you know, should be quite fat and, and, and instead is quite thin and uh, and has diarrhea. And and at that point, she is shedding the bacteria in her diarrhea and possibly infecting new calves, which will then exhibit the signs when they're older. So that's why it's a bit of a challenging disease to manage because they don't show signs for quite a long period of time until they're quite a bit older. And so by then, you've got a fairly big problem on your hands. The other big problem is testing is not very accurate. Quite often when we test a group of, of cows, we might only find about half um, of the actual positive cases. We get a lot of a lot of what we call false negatives. So we think that they're negative, but they're actually truly positive. And so it's quite a challenging disease to manage um, and, and causes us, or producers in particular, quite a bit of uh, problems. And, you know, in some herds, you can get, say five or six or seven cows a year that are coming down and actually having to be euthanized or die from this disease. So it, it can be quite quite significant. So we what we basically looked at is what biosecurity practices could potentially be related to that disease. And um, unfortunately, there really wasn't anything that came out as significant to that. We were wondering if perhaps things like, you know, buying in cattle or not asking about Yoni's disease or not one of our recommendations would always be is, you know, inquire if you're buying adult animals, you know, do you have Yoni's disease in your herd? And, and trying to um, reduce that, you know, buying from herds that know they have very little Yoni's disease or have been testing for it would be certainly advised, especially since you can test for it, but you could definitely miss it when you were buying it into your own herd. But unfortunately, we really didn't find a whole lot that related to that. And so, um, that's an area that we would have to probably study further to see if there's other factors that we could use to try and uh, uh, mitigate bringing in Yoni's animals. So we'll move on then, because I know that uh, all beef veterinarians and producers are probably pretty interested to hear what you learned about which biosecurity factors might be associated with bovine respiratory disease. Why is respiratory disease so uh, important in beef herds, and what did you find? So um, bovine respiratory disease is the number one disease of beef cattle. It causes by far the highest economic losses, uh, particularly in the feedlot, but also right across all sectors of cow-calf, it, it's the number one disease and causes the greatest losses. So for that reason, um, it's usually top of mind for all producers in trying to prevent it. So we did find a number of factors that were related to herds that had um, an outbreak of bovine respiratory disease. So what we looked at with that one is the question was was asked, 
have you had an outbreak of bovine respiratory disease in your herd in the last five years? An outbreak was defined as having greater than 10% of animals treated within one year. So let's say you had 50 calves in your herd and you treated greater than five calves um, in one year, then that would be defined as an outbreak. And so of the cow-calf producers in the, in the survey, there's a little over 100, about uh, 20%, just under 20%, one in five reported having an outbreak of bovine respiratory disease in the, in the previous five years. And it was quite interesting the things that were associated with that because naturally, or what I would assume is I would, a lot of herds bring in feeder cattle. And so you would assume that bringing in, you know, feeder cattle into your herd, you know, from other herds would definitely be a risk factor. But that actually didn't come up as a risk factor. Um, in fact, bringing in um, older cattle, adult cattle, was actually a very significant risk, risk factor. So bringing in greater than 10 bulls was associated with bovine respiratory disease. Buying cows was associated with it. And then so those two, like both cows and bulls, and then also herds that did not vaccinate, um, that had an associate. So not vaccinating purchased animals had an associate with, with bovine respiratory disease. And then finally, community pasture grazing had a strong association with it. So those were the things that we found biosecurity-wise that, that impacted BRD. Were there any findings from your study then that were surprising to you as a veterinarian? Well, that's probably the main one, to be honest, that I just kind of highlighted there. So another example would be in calves. You know, you would think that you know, calves getting diarrhea or scours when they're young would likely be associated with bringing in calves from other herds that might have that. But again, we didn't really find that, but we did find that bringing in adult cows and bulls was associated with that. You know, the, the purchase of adult animals and bringing cows and bulls into the herd was strongly associated with a greater risk of disease, particularly respiratory disease and diarrhea in calves. So that was quite a surprising finding, and, and it's something that definitely um, warrants further research. How is it that those cows and bulls that are brought in are, are you know, what what is it about them? Because they're not sick usually, right? They're not sick, nor are they getting sick, but they do get sick. So what's the mechanism that they are bringing in those diseases into the herds, and how is that getting transmitted to the calves? And if there were ways to reduce that, then that would obviously really help because it would reduce the disease in the calf. The other one that was interesting, this one actually you see all over the world, is that community pasture grazing, so grazing together in the summer, seems to be a very strong risk factor for different diseases. So even though those animals are usually fairly healthy over that period of time, and it's not necessarily a period where we see lots of diseases or problems, that actually seems to be a pretty significant factor. If you're mixing cows and calves together with other herds for communal grazing, that that has quite a strong impact on, on having diseases in those herds. So that leads pretty nicely into my next question. Uh, what I'd really like to know is what would be the big three take-home points based on your research that you feel would be important to share with veterinarians and producers? Yeah, so the big one, the first one, I think is, you know, I think I think as a producer, you really need to consider carefully 
what you are buying into your herd. Um, you know, so when you're purchasing bulls, when you're purchasing cows, when you're purchasing replacement heifers, you know, what what is the disease record of the herd that you're buying from? What sort of, you know, vaccines have those animals received? You know, what are you getting? And this is something that I, you know, you see so often, right? You're you're at an auction mark and you're palpating cows for pregnancy and those cows are, are being sold, you know, to dozens of different herds and, uh, you know, hundreds of cows moving out to all these different herds. And you just can't help but think that knowing this information, that that just seems like a really high-risk activity for introducing disease into those herds. And very often we see that, you know, where the, someone says, you know, they have an outbreak of calf diarrhea and you start inquiring as to, you know, what might have caused that. And very often they bought a new group of heifers or, you know, a group of cows very recently that may have introduced those diseases. So that's probably the first big take-home point, I would say, is, Know where you're buying, know where you're buying from, know what their disease history is, know what they're vaccinated for. Try to get as much information and be as careful with your purchasing decisions as you possibly can be. The second one I would say is the community pasture one. And we've seen this in other studies as well, done by, like I say, even in other parts of the world, studies out of Switzerland and Brazil and also other studies in Western Canada, that this whole community pasture grazing definitely is a risk factor. So obviously, that's a major challenge. I think there is ways that we could do better with community pasture grazing, even if it's not an option to stop doing it. There's probably ways to be more careful about the cattle that are sent there and how to uh, reduce issues in them. So a good example was the trichomoniasis outbreaks that we saw in Saskatchewan years ago and how they were careful about you know the bulls that were coming in were being tested. The cows had to come in with a calf at side to show that they carried a calf the previous year and had not aborted it. And so there was a few measures that were taken that, that were very effective in reducing trichomoniasis outbreaks. And so it's possible to, to change management in order to reduce spread. And I think reducing the number of herds that are mixing, making smaller areas, um, being more careful about the cattle that get sent out there, vaccinating programs, all those types of things could have a significant impact. And then finally, I think the third one would be just as a general general sense over the whole area of biosecurity is that I think it would be really awesome and wonderful if we could just have this an area of, of greater emphasis. You know, one of the questions that we asked, we looked at a bunch of different aspects of what producers saw as you know things that they did with their with their herd veterinarians and uh, and basically talking about what their relationship was with their herd veterinarian and one of the questions was you know how many producers had a written biosecurity protocol with their herd veterinarian and, and the answer was three percent so basically none of them really do that and so that would be kind of my third point is just I think I think if we could just make this an area of greater emphasis where you know, as as beef herds, it's not sort of the last thing we think about. You know, when it's we when we're buying cattle and when we're moving cattle around and when we're selling cattle and when we're you know, making all these decisions, you know, that biosecurity is is higher up the the order and that we consider you know what the impact of these decisions might be on the health of the cattle and those herds. 
thanks so much, Dr. Wenekamp, for joining us today. And thank you very much for sharing the results of this research. It's pretty interesting stuff. And I think those points are certainly some good ones to consider in the future. We'll be sure to share some links to the Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network's uh, website on our webpage for anyone who is interested in learning more about other projects in the works. Thank you very much. Once again, I'd like to thank the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System for their support of the Animal Health Insights podcast. CAS is an initiative of the National Farmed Animal Health and Welfare Council, and it has broad-based support from both livestock sectors and from government. CAS brings together data and information from across Canada in order to demonstrate animal health and to guide planning on national animal health priorities. Effective disease surveillance can demonstrate the health of our animals, and it enables prompt action to minimize the negative impacts of disease. Funding is provided through the Agri Assurance Program under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a federal, provincial, territorial initiative.